Well, hi, and welcome to New Life Presbyterian Church in Dresher, Pennsylvania's online worship service this morning. My name is Anthony Gamage. I'm the lead pastor here, and we exist as a church and as a ministry to know Jesus and make Him known. Uh, thanks for joining us from wherever you may be. Uh, we continue to pray for everyone as we're scattered uh, far and wide uh, that uh, the Lord will continue to just shower us with His grace and mercy. Uh, this morning, just a couple of uh, items to remember for those uh, who are among us here at New Life Dresher. Uh, first of all, just an encouragement to join us for prayer. Uh, our next one will be Monday night at 8.30. Uh, so go ahead and check your email to uh, figure out how to join us with that. Uh, there will be two other opportunities later this week. Uh, also, our podcasts are being uh, beamed out now on all the major platforms. So if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, search New Life Dresher there. You can find us, uh, and you can also find us on social media. So uh, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram, we are Dresher Church. So uh, click in however you can so you can stay up to date on all the happenings here uh, around the church. Also, um, just to name something, so most people gave feedback that was very good of saying, hey, we would love to zoom in on the speakers a little bit more. And so uh, hopefully you've noticed we've zoomed in a little bit more this week. Uh, unfortunately, this was the week that my eye decided to swell. So it looked like I went 12 rounds with Rocky. And I know that I'm being beamed onto 4K televisions, uh, at least around the Philadelphia area. And so um, it is a point of pride, but I also figured I would name that uh, to you uh, just to say, I'm okay. Thanks for caring. Uh, and I'm sorry, you've got to look at this for the next 20 some minutes. But uh, anyway, just needed to name that as we got going here this morning. The Lord uh, loves to humble uh, us, uh, but he also cares for us in the midst of it. Uh, but a- as we get going, let me uh, just share with you uh, just a story of uh, an experience that we had this week. So everything's changed now, right? Uh, everything feels different. Uh, in particular, for me, grocery shopping feels totally different than it used to. Uh, this week, uh, my wife and I went out and and uh, as we were getting in the car, we're like, yeah, we're getting out of the house. This is great. We haven't done this uh, in a long time. And, and we were talking at the beginning, but I noticed the closer we got to the grocery store, the less we talked, right? It actually made me very empathetic for those of you who are in the medical community and going out uh, into the world every single day. I cannot imagine what's going on in your minds and in your hearts. I'm, I continue to pray for you in this. And I don't mean to make light of it, but, but f- what I would liken it to is what I was experiencing is how a soldier might feel as they're on their transport to the battlefront, right? You know, we get there to the grocery store and we're just kind of like, do we have our hand sanitizers and all of our weapons? And, you know, we're checking the aisles to make sure that one's kind of empty and we have a six-foot range and, uh, and, and things like that. And, and all of my senses are super heightened, including my sense of justice. So I show up at the deli counter uh, one day, and, and I'm sitting there, and there's no meat, right? But there's one guy talking to the guy behind the counter. He's like, hey, yo, you're so-and-so. We went to the same high school. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, hey, why is there no meat? You know? And the guy's like, we don't know we're going to get it in. He's like, oh, man, since we go way back, can I give you my cell phone number? Can I, can, yeah, so can you text me when you get it, like maybe even before you put it out? And, and the guy's going, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. He's like, all right, cool. How's your family? Good? Good. All right. You just make sure you text me, right? And the guy's like, okay, yeah, cool. And, and, and he walks away. Well, I wanted to take that guy out at his knees and be like, hey, that's not fair. All the rest of us need meat. We all need toilet paper, right? Don't be cutting a deal with a guy that you haven't seen for 15 years behind the counter. My sense of justice is kind of through the roof. And justice is this idea of behaving according to what is morally right or fair, right? I think a lot of us have this heightened sense of justice 
Uh, as you pay attention to the news, people are calling for justice all over the place against price, price gouging, which is an, an unjust activity, right? But also uh, calling for justice for people who are hoarding all the toilet paper or certain people who are getting tests before others for COVID-19. Uh, we are fleecing our politicians in public, right? Even if we're not quite the experts, we think we are on these things. But, but we're all calling for justice, And justice isn't a bad thing. The reason we call for it is there is a great yearning in the human heart for justice. You see, I think what we see in times of want or need like this is a tendency of the human heart to twist justice just a little bit, sometimes a lot, especially when we feel out of sorts especially when our creature comforts fail. We're willing to bend justice just a little bit to get that thing we really, really want, right? Well, as we continue through the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we again are coming across Israel as they're sitting on the boundary to the promised land where God is calling them into the unknown, into a place where they uh, are going to feel remarkably out of control, just like we do today, where things may be scarce. They don't know if they're going to have toilet paper, Right? And God seems to know that the temptation of their heart is to twist justice. And so follow along with me. Deuteronomy 16, we're going to be looking at parts of 16, 17, and 18 today. But Deuteronomy 16, verse 18 to 20, follow along with me. It says this. God says, When you get into the land, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to all the tribes, that they shall judge people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let me pray for us this morning as we get going. Lord, um, I thank you that you are a God of justice. And Father, this may feel a little bit strange of a text for the day and age that we're in, but Lord, um, I actually pray that you'll convince us otherwise. Holy Spirit, would you impress your word onto our hearts? And Father, make us a people who seek your justice in the world around us and do it in a way that reflects humility and care. Holy Spirit, will you speak in and through me and protect my words? We love you. Thanks for this time. In your name, amen. Well, let me give you a little bit more context as we jump in here. Uh, a little while ago, we preached on Deuteronomy chapter 5, which was really the giving of the Ten Commandments. In the last number of weeks, uh, what happens after chapter 5 is Moses spends time unpacking uh, in greater depth what each of those commandments actually mean. And so we've spent up to this point unpacking the first four. Uh, no other gods before me, no graven images, things like that. And those can really be summarized in the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says that in the book of Matthew. Now we're moving into the, to the second set of laws, the last six, which can be summarized as love your neighbor as yourself. And so today, in particular, we are going into greater detail of what God means where he says in the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. 
Now, you may say to yourself as you listen to the rest of this, hey, Anthony, um, I don't hear father or mother in any of this, so how can this be an unpacking of that commandment? Well, uh, that is a great question. And let me try to answer this from uh, what uh, some some guys got together and put together in the Westminster uh, Larger Catechism uh, hundreds of years ago, but I think they did a good job unpacking and getting at what is meant by this commandment. Uh, This is the Larger Catechism, uh, question 124. Here's the question. Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? All right. There it is again, that great question. Here's the answer. It says, By father and mother, the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, especially such as, by God's ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family or church or commonwealth. All right, let me cut to the chase of what that means. He's saying it's not just our immediate families that's in view here. What it's saying is, is this really unpacks our relationships across the board as it pertains to authority, right? Superiors and inferiors, or, or however you may categorize those things. And if you want to unpack this a little bit more, I, I would just encourage you, since we can't go to the library, uh, just Google PCA Westminster Larger Catechism. The page will come up, and you can actually read about this, questions 124 to 133. A little light read for you here during quarantine. But uh, let me... Let me um, keep going with this, you may go, well, Anthony, I'm not necessarily a king or a priest or somebody who's in the context of this passage, but I will say this. This is pertinent to all of us, right? In that, most of us are in authority over something, whether it's a deli counter or children or a group at work or a group at school. At some point in time, we will be in authority over something. We are also all under authority. Every single one of us, right? Whether it's a parent or a boss or a president. And all of us, whether we want to believe it or not, are under the authority of the God of the universe. The key line of all of this that we see here in verse 20 is is where he says, uh, justice and only justice you shall follow, right? And when in the Bible, you see a word repeated twice. It means God wants us to pay attention to it. And so he's saying uh, justice is key here as we think about our relationships in authority. Now, why is this here? Is this just to keep his unruly kids in line? Well, in part, it is to help guide us in our relationship with the Lord, but it goes much deeper than that. Uh, as you heard me read, God is against bribery and partiality. We just read that just a moment ago in verse 19. Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy 10, you see the same language, for it says uh, it says this in 10.17, The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. Friends, the reason, primary reason, I believe that God is calling His people to pursue justice in the promised land among themselves, among the world around them, is because He wants them to reflect His good character among other people. So that they will see how beautiful and just and right the one true God is. In short, they are to reflect God. And so today, the the big idea is because God is just, We must reflect Him as we live our lives, and in particular as we lead, when justice is twisted, hard, and when our hearts tempt us. And that's our outline today, that reflecting God's justice as we lead when justice is twisted, hard, and our hearts tempt us. 
Now, there's three groups that Moses uses to, to really depict this or tell this story through, and it's through judges and officers in this first section, then priests, and then kings. So first, let's look at this picture of judges and officers uh, and the idea of when, uh, how we are to lead when justice may get twisted. Verse 18a, you'll see a, uh, he calls his people to appoint judges and officers when they get into the land and that they're, go- they're supposed to rule uh, or make righteous judgments at the end of that verse. Righteous judgments are basically saying judgments that reflect the right character of the God of the universe. Now he's saying there is a danger that could twist the correct judgments of these judges and officers. In verse 19, It says, you should not pervert justice. That means twist it, right? Make it look different than what it's supposed to look. Or how it's supposed to look. It says, you shall not show partiality partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. So, So he's saying, part of the way justice gets twisted is when we receive a bribe, right? Now, a bribe could be money. I would say in our day and age, now, it's still money sometimes, but, but sometimes it's, it's relational collateral, right? It's this for that. It's scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. It's, hey, do me a favor. You know, it's, it's my boy at the meat counter, right? But that can sometimes twist justice. It says it blinds our eyes. And they blind our eyes so that we would satisfy the donor rather than doing the right thing. It says it harms those who are actually right or righteous. And those are ones whose God has committed to protect. Showing partiality neglects those without the social or material need, means, right? We said a couple of weeks ago this term sojourner or alien as we see it in the scripture. One person defined it as a person who does not have the social or political machine working in their favor. When we show partiality, we actually work against the least of these in our midst. And friends, if you go back and read the prophets in the Old Testament, or you read Jesus and how he talks about the least of these, God hates it when we demonstrate partiality in that form of injustice. James 2.1 says this, James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And so in our moment in culture of, of desperation, right, of, of discomfort, can I encourage you to just ask yourself this question? Be, be brave enough. Where might I be showing partiality in my own life? Or how might I be interacting with other people to uh, feed partiality? Maybe you're bribing people. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's relational capital. But how might you be showing partiality? Here's the second question. How can you in your neighborhood, right now since that's about the only place we can go, push back against partiality? How can you push back against partiality? I would argue probably one of the easiest ways is find those who who may be marginalized and do something like take them toilet paper, buy meat for them and bring it because they can't get there fast enough, right? Right? Or advocate for them on the phone if they need a doctor's appointment or, 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 or just need something. Be an advocate and pray. Pray against partiality during these times because partiality can, can ramp up immensely during times of great need. 
Here's the second main point, and I'm actually going to ball up most of this and, and maybe get to it in a podcast later on in the week. But, but God calls us to pursue justice when justice is hard. And, and let me just read one verse to you. So this whole next section uh, in 17 that I'm going to basically punt is talking about capital punishment for people who uh, worship other idols. Let me just say I'm not an advocate for um, capital punishment, nor is the modern church, right? Uh, this was specific to the nation, the theocracy of Israel in the Old Testament. But but let me just read one verse for you, verse 7. Uh, and it's basically talking about how at the hand of the witnesses, um, uh, a person is, is basically put to death, right? Uh, and it goes on to say, uh, afterwards all the people will bring this punishment upon them. But here's the last line. You shall purge the evil from your midst. Uh, again, forget about when justice is hard, I'm, I'm jettisoning most of this. But, but, but here's the one thing I want us to hear, particularly in our time of isolation, is that part of pursuing justice uh, in the church in particular is that we need to take rebellion against God seriously. Now, I'm not talking capital punishment seriously, but, but seriously enough to know that evil and sin, if it exists in our hearts, can destroy us. Paul uses this verse that I just read in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 to 13, where he says, For what have I, do, have I to do with judging outsiders? So he's saying, hey church, it's not our job to judge those who uh, don't have faith in Jesus Christ. That's not our job. He's saying, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside the church, but purge the evil person from among you. What God is saying is, is take sin and evil seriously within the context of the church, even in a day and age in which we live. Now, my family were at night. We were watching uh, some TV shows. There was one TV show that is basically your typical Silicon Valley office building, where it's an open concept, and everybody, you know, it's introvert nightmare. Everybody's working in open spaces, and and there's this one guy who, you know, the music's playing in the background. It's REM. Everybody hurts. Dude's suffering, right? He's he's down on himself for for something, and and he crawls into this thing they have, I guess, an open office concepts, an isolation pod, right? It looks like a little round panic attack to me because. Um, you know, I would never crawl into a little pod, all six foot four of me. But anyway, he crawls in and this girl goes over and she's like, you know, opens the door and she's like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm really hurting. So just leave me alone. And he, and he closes the pod and, and she just walks away. A friend Friday morning texts me this phrase about the day and age and, and how we're existing right now during this time of uh, isolation. And uh, he says this, he says, life is basically a long, bad date with yourself. We're con- we are confronted with who we really are, and it can be exhausting. Friends, doesn't it feel like that right now? A long date with ourselves, and we are constantly confronted with who we are. In our busy modern times, we're usually running at RPMs so high that we don't stop long enough to identify what's going on in our heart. But friends, it is getting squeezed out of us right now. And so as these things get squeezed out of us, Part of justice and what God wants us to pursue is not just keeping that to ourselves, but getting out of our isolation pods and outing ourselves to others, confessing it to Him, yes, but to also confront it to, or confess it to other people. Saying, hey, this is what I've discovered about myself. Can you pray for me? Can you hold me accountable in this? And I would also say uh, to all the rest of us when, uh, to, to maybe move towards people in their isolation pods and draw them out. 
Make a phone call or a Facebook call or, or, or a Zoom call and say, Hey, how are you doing? You know, Friday morning I jumped on a call with uh, several brothers who I pray with on Friday morning, and, and that's kind of what we do. We out ourselves and say, here's where I'm afraid. Here's where I'm interacting badly with my family. Here's where I lost it over this topic. Can you pray for me? Can you hold me accountable to these things? Friends, that doesn't stop in the church in this day that we are facing. All right, here's the third point. Uh, we pursue justice knowing that our hearts will tempt us, especially when we're in places of authority. Let me read for you uh, Deuteronomy 17, 16, and 17. And this is the context now. It's moved to this topic of kings. So chapter 17, I didn't say this, but, but there, are, uh, there are priests involved in that section. And, and as they make rulings on hard cases, this section, God anticipates a day where there will be kings in Israel. And so he goes on here to uh, tell him this in verse 16. It says, Only this king may not acquire many horses for himself or cause people to t- return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he said not to acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turns away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and excessive gold. Anthony, what on earth are you talking about with horses? Why, why do I care about horses? Well, friends, with power and authority, um, with authority structures, there's a couple of temptations that our hearts will face. And the first one is that of power and desires. When you read about horses here, horses are like, um, in, in an army setting, what tanks or drones or uh, airplanes or nuclear weapons would be today, right? It's saying, hey, don't accumulate yourself so much military power that you are overconfident in yourself. When he says, don't go make an alliance with Egypt, he's saying, don't go make alliances with bigger armies to uh, create confidence in yourself and your alliances and your allegiances. Now, the conversation of why God even allowed kings to have multiple wives is a conversation for another day. I believe God hates it and it was evil, but it was a part of the culture. And in part, um, sometimes uh, some of these wives that kings would take on were to form allegiances with other nations. Sometimes it's just because these kings were womanizers and they wanted what they wanted and they could take it. But God is saying, that shouldn't happen because your heart will be drawn away from me. He says, you shouldn't accumulate much money because your heart will be drawn away from me. Why? Because you think you're not going to need me. You will pervert justice and abuse power to get what you want just simply because you can. He's saying, be aware of that temptation. And friends, how how many Christian leaders have we seen today fall? Because they've been overconfident in themselves and in their gifts. They've abused relationships in their midst because they just wanted to and they could. God is saying that is a very real temptation of leadership. Dads and husbands, can I just offer a particular warning for you? There's a fear in my heart that I am praying against, not just simply fearing, that all this time cooped inside with our families and lack of comfort and, and really a realization of a lack of the control that we never had, that we get angrier and grumpier and more controlling and emotionally or even physically abusive. Can I just exhort you that if you are experiencing that, reach out to someone for help, accountability. Give permission for someone to call you, to call your wife and see how you're doing in the midst of this. This is a scourge of the church right now, and God detests it. 
So let me encourage you to fight against it if, if, if anger or any of these things are a temptation of yours. Here's the other temptation is pride. Let me read 18 to 20. And when this king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life, that he shall learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of the law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in the kingdom he and his children in Israel. Here's what he's getting at here at the end. He's basically saying, hey, once the king gets in place, have the Levitical priests who had the official copies of God's word write one for him so that he will have it and that he reads it constantly. Here's why God would have them do this. is because when we get into power, oftentimes humans begin to think that we are laws unto ourselves. We're the man. We're the woman. I did this. Look at what I did. And what God is saying is, keep my word in front of you. First of all, that it may go well with you, right? That's part of His grace. But, but He's also saying, hey, this will remind you that you're actually not all that that you think you are. Verse 20, that His heart may not be lifted up above His brother's. He's reminding us wherever we are as leaders or in authority that we are people under His authority ultimately. Now God is not saying abide by my law because He's a cosmic killjoy, right? In fact, it's actually a blessing. What does it say at the end of that? It says in verse, sorry, I can't read, uh, verse 20, He says, so that He may continue long in His kingdom and His children in Israel. He's basically saying, follow me so that you will be blessed, that you will receive my blessing. One of my favorite verses as it pertains to uh, good leadership, if you will, uh, in, the, in the Bible that uh, I've read is David on his deathbed in 2 Samuel 23, 3 and 4. He says this, he says, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Friends, God, God's Word can shape us into people who lead in such a way that we uh, lead them in a way that causes them to thrive like grass growing, like sun dawning on them after a dark night. So here's the problem. If we humbly submit to God's Word, right? If we believe in justice and if we believe that God is just, there's a problem. Let's go back to the meat counter, right? Me in the store. As I evaluated that scenario this week, I thought to myself, you know... I'm not sure I'd act much differently if I was in that situation. Now, I'm not going to make too much of that scenario. It wasn't this horrific injustice. But but, but what I found in my own heart is something that I've seen true over the course of my life. I want justice when it serves me or someone I love. Right? Don't you? But you know, I often exempt myself from that same standard. I often exempt myself from that same standard of justice, right? If it serves me, great. If it's against me, I'm not sure I agree with that form of justice. 
James 2, which we read from earlier, it says this, If we show partiality, we are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point has been guilty of all of it. Friends, if we stop for for 30 seconds, there's probably a time in our lives where we could identify where we've taken a bribe, emotionally, monetarily, where we've shown partiality, where we've accused without process, where we've ignored what is right to satisfy our own appetites, where we've become laws unto ourselves. And that verse I just read, it's kind of like saying, you, if you break one little piece of the glass, it's like pressure-treated glass, right? You nick the end of it, and what happens to the rest of it? It shatters. He's saying we're all guilty. And if God is truly just... We are condemned before Him. He says only one person has lived. God's Word says only one person has been perfectly just his entire life, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And interestingly enough, if you go to the New Testament, we see Jesus playing all three roles mentioned in the text today, judge, king, and priest. As judge, Romans 2.16, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. As king, Revelation 19, 13, and 16, Jesus is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. On his robe and on his thigh is a tattoo, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if he's perfectly just and we're not, that's a scary image, isn't it? And the good news is, is he is also a priest. Hebrews 7 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest in Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And then a couple chapters later in Hebrews 10.10 it says, and by that we will have been sanctified, being made clean, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, friends, it's saying Jesus is the perfect judge and king, and priest, sinless and spotless. But he gave himself up for us so that we may be made just, just like him. Pursuing justice on our own power is hypocritical. It's pretending. It's demanding something that we haven't even done ourselves. The only person who can make that demand of justice is Jesus. But in him we also see grace the just giving himself up for us so that we might be right. If you've never received this offer of grace, friends, let me just extend to you that you can simply confess your injustice to him right now and dependence on him and him alone for your salvation, and you are his. You are made totally right in in God's eyes because of Christ's sacrifice for you on the cross. And if you have received that, then we can pursue justice, not out of self-righteousness, but out of a posture of humility and dependence on God. Because receiving grace says just that. We deserve His wrath, but we received His grace. Therefore, we can reflect His justice perfectly as we live out the life of Jesus Christ. Friends, God is just and poured out on us His grace May He give us the grace to reflect His justice in these hard times when justice can be twisted, when justice is hard, 
and when our hearts are tempted. Let me close this in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you are just, and we also thank you that you are our great high priest who gave yourself up for us. Lord, would you help us in this day and age depend on your justice and righteousness and reflect it in the world around us who so desperately needs it. Thanks for this time. We pray these things in your name. Amen.